Hello and welcome to episode 119 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, July 7th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Midsummer. It's midsummer. It's, I don't know. We're all bundled up in our sweaters. It's so cold. My heat went on the other morning while my parents, who live 30 miles away, were having a heat wave and lost their air conditioning because of a brownout. A brownout, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have natural air conditioning right now, and I'm okay with it. We went to visit them for the 4th, and it was very, very hot. It was lovely. Like, the pool was perfect, but it was toasty, man. Yeah, I think that's how the rest of the country feels. We're in our little fog bubble here. Yep, very true. And as our weather continues to be normal, so will our segments continue to be. We have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and of course, bingo. Very exciting. So on the needles. So some exciting new stuff. I did want to mention Tin Can Knits, who I really like their patterns. They have very size inclusive patterns. They do a lot of really cute sweaters. They have socks, they have hats. They have a whole basics collection of, you know, kind of learn to knit a hat, learn to knit a sweater type patterns. And they have their own app now. So I think it's kind of like a knit companion app where you can have your patterns on your tablet or phone, and then you can keep track of them and work on them in the app. So you don't have to carry around a piece of paper that can get lost or ripped or, I don't know, your toddler could destroy it. And so right now, I think it just has the basic pattern, the free patterns that they have on there. But apparently, if you have patterns in Ravelry, you'll be able to, or I guess on other platforms, you'll be able to import them into the app and use them there. So it was kind of fun. I haven't played around with it too much, but I thought it was interesting. And if you like their patterns, might be worth checking out. And then as far as actual knitting, I don't have a whole lot of new stuff. I do have some new stuff, but mostly it's been working on what I have been working on. Before I went on my trip, I was working very diligently on My Dark Academia by Sharon Hartley in Porter Wool Company, Huntress and Serendipidae Coside in Blossom, which is forest green and peachy pink. It's so beautiful. I'm almost done with the third chart for the body, which means I'm almost done with the body. After you do the third chart, there's a little more. You just knit for length and then do some ribbing. And then I get to go start on the sleeves, which are all charted as well, because it's just an amazing sweater. I'm definitely making progress. I'm very excited about that. I I have a funny dark academia correlative. I get a a trend alert from Spoonflower, that fabric company. Do you know Spoonflower? They do... It sounds familiar. Yeah, it's like a custom fabric. A lot of designers upload their own patterns and then they print it on all different types of fabric. It's really interesting. Well, they sent a trend alert for, I guess, fall, winter. And one of the, the trending searches was Dark Academia. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. And I thought, huh, that's such a Fun coincidence. Yeah, because there was the the book one as well. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So So it's a thing. It is a thing. Interesting. Yeah, so I've been working on that, or I was working on that. I took a break because I didn't take it on my trip, and then I haven't gotten back into it yet. But I should because I'm going to be taking off again, and I just need to keep making progress on that, and I do very much enjoy it. 
So on my trip, I actually didn't do a lot of knitting on my trip. I thought because we were doing a decent amount of car driving in between locations and then just hanging out with the family and whatnot, I thought I would get a bunch done. And I really didn't. I was just, the scenery was so beautiful. I didn't want to be distracted by my knitting. And to a certain extent, there were, there were some curvy roads. So that was made it a little more difficult. And then at night, we were, I mean, we were doing a bunch of hiking during the day. So at night, I was just kind of tired and didn't really, I didn't even feel like knitting. I just wanted to read my book and, you know, not, not really do anything. I've gotten some more done since we got back. The Gemini by Jane Richmond, which is my knit t-shirt in the Zombie Yarns Thriller in Bumbleberry, which is kind of an orchid, but a little, little grungy with some brown and, and, highlighter yellow spots and I'm very much enjoying that as lace work up at the top and then I have now split for the sleeves and so it's just a whole bunch of knitting and I actually went back and did the sleeves it has little short sleeves they're only like 10 rounds each so I went and did those just to make sure that it was gonna sit properly and to make sure I, <laughs> I knew exactly how much yarn I had left to use because I, then I, I don't have to worry about the sleeves anymore they're done so I think that's gonna be really cute and comfy and the yarn is a cotton and linen blend, so I think it'll be good for the summer. Although, I mean, <laughs> as we said, it's very foggy and cold here, so it's not really an issue wearing wool sweaters in the summer, but it's still good to have some options. So I'm excited about that one as well. And then I have finished one of my Vanilla is the New Black Socks by Anna Fletcher in the White Birch Fiber Arts colorway Little Birdie which I've had since 2016. And I finished that first one because I needed my needles because I can't find my second pair of sock needles. I'm not sure where they are. A little disturbing. But I needed those needles so that I could start my Contrast Blast Socks by Stephen West, which is his first annual surprise sock along, which is a mystery sock along. But he's being fancy. They're so fun. I'm so excited. He did a great job. So I think I had mentioned that I ordered the surprise yarn. So we had a bunch of kits. You need two colors of yarn. That's the contrast. So we had lots of kits on his website. Obviously, you could use your own stash yarn. But I decided just to go all in on this because he usually has shawl kits, but that's such a big commitment because, I mean, five skeins or six skeins of yarn is a lot. Two skeins, I figured I could do. Tried a new dyer. And have you used a Stephen West pattern before? Yes. I haven't done... No, that's not true. I have. I did one of his earlier shawls maybe two of them mm, okay. like three number three or something so oh my gosh a while ago i mean and i've knit his patterns before he was like the steven that he is right. now and he still looks Celebrity. like a regular kind of person he is a, he's very extra and fabulous right now oh my gosh did not used to be quite so much anyway yeah so i've been knitting his patterns forever so it's very exciting so i i just did decide because he said on one of the videos that the mystery sock kit was in cool colors, which is definitely what I knit in. So I decided to go for it. And oh my goodness, people, it, they are the colors I would have picked if it had been an option. So that's they're from Mominoki Yarn. Uh, and I think she dies in Germany. Uh, I've never heard, I mean, Steven and Penelope carry them in their store. So it's totally new dire for me. So the colorways are Aqua Flash and Teal Blast. And so the teal is a lovely, perfect dark teal. And then the Aqua Flash is this super pale aqua with pops of pink, bright pink. It's, Fuchsia. It's, it's great. It's so perfect. And it's looking great in the sock. 
The pattern is super fun. The first glue came out yesterday and I have like two more rows <laughs> to finish up the first clue on my first sock. I definitely would have time to start the second sock and then they'd both be done at the same time. I probably won't just because of needle issues and yarn tangle and I just... There's a left and a right sock, although obviously you could just do two right or two left socks. But it's really cool. We've already had cables and slip stitches with the color changes. It looks so fun. It's, it's just great. And I'm still really impressed with people who are doing this for their first sock. He has a whole instruction video, although his cast-on instructions were not the best. Like, I have done this cast-on before. It's not my go-to cast-on. And he was, he kind of flew through it. Like, if I had not done it before, I would have had some problems. So, other than that, fantastic. Super fun. I am very excited. And looking forward to see what he comes up. Because sometimes, you know, you do a mystery whatever. The first part is great. And then they kind of have to keep doing sections of stuff. Especially for a sock, right? Because usually right. you kind of run one pattern through the whole thing. You start adding in things. It just looks odd. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what will be coming next. Uh, and I have to wait like a week. Well, I guess it's only six days now. <laughs> so I think it's every Thursday it's coming out. So there's still plenty of time to, to play along. And that's my knitting. It's been, it's been fun. Sounds good. I have sewing needles. Nice. Okay, where to start? Since we've been talking about uh, summer in San Francisco, which is like all four seasons in one day. My summer make make something summery is this here sweatshirt. <laughs> because it's cold here. Yeah. Um, I made a sweatshirt. Actually, I don't... Yeah, it's definitely a summer weight sweatshirt for San Francisco. It's a thin ponte fabric. It is the Linden sweatshirt from Grainline Studio. This is a raglan sleeve with self cuffs collar. It sews up really fast. I had made one, I guess in the springtime and was a little bit too big or the fabric was too stretchy. I'm still struggling with that a little bit, fabric choice. And so this one, I think it it's a great, yeah. Yeah. Great, easy. I did look to purchase a black sweatshirt. And this is one of the weird things about San Francisco retail is everybody else has really hot weather. And so the assumption is that we would want tank tops and cutoffs right now. But since our weather is kind of weird, there is often not the things that we need available in the summertime in shops. I remember that, especially with the kids when they were still yeah. growing and all of a sudden your child is shot up four inches and you can't buy them warm clothes in the summer. Yeah, you can't. You just can't find stuff with sleeves Yeah, really right now. So I was happy to make this up for myself. This success is following on the heels of a major sewing fail. So we have a wedding coming up at the end of July and I attempted to take the poppy blouse that I had made f last summer and turn it into a dress. Ooh. It's not a total fail because I think I can chop the dress part off and still salvage the blouse. But for a dress for a wedding, I chose kind of like a cotton voile fabric, which is lightweight cotton, but it wasn't super drapey. It was kind of 
stiff. And so it didn't fall nicely in the dress version. I'm a little sad because it required my scrambling to find a dress for said wedding. And of course, a fail is never fun. But I think once fall rolls around, I might resurrect this to be more of a like a fall blouse and cut the skirt part off and put a longer sleeve back on it because I have all that fabric from the skirt to turn into a sleeve, a proper sleeve. It's a really pretty art house fabric and it feels kind of Christmassy to me now that I'm looking at it hanging up in the, in the sewing room. So perhaps it will be a good blouse for the Christmas season because it's like a dark green with colorful florals and it just feels multi-seasonal, if you will. So that was kind of a womp womp, <laughs> but... I rounded it out nicely with my new black sweatshirt. So on the easel, though, there's a lot of interesting things going on. It is summer, which means that my house is full of people. My kids are around a lot and I'm often interrupted. What's been going on in the sketchbook are lots of floral sketches. While I'm reluctant to proclaim anything about it, I think I have figured out for sure the flower problem and how to make them my own in a painting. And that feels pretty great. I also started doing these sketches in motion. I follow Emma Carlisle on Patreon and she had a couple group sessions where we were drawing clips of animals. It would be like a little fox walking across the screen on a loop. And so instead of pausing it and capturing that fox in one pose, we were just supposed to watch the loop and sketch it quick and see what kind of movement or sketch work you could get while watching the fox. Of course, you're not going to get super detailed, but they were really charming sketches. And then I was watching that David Attenborough program on Netflix or something, the one about all around the world, the migration one, and the albatross, the baby albatross on the Laysan Islands, watching him take his first awkward steps into flight. I have some awesome sketches of that. I wish I knew what to do with them. They're just so charming. That was really fun. And then I got a big commission. And by big, I mean size, scale, like... 40 by 60 inches, oh, wow. although I think I'm going to talk this individual into maybe 30 by 40 because that is a big canvas. So I'm on the hunt for a substrate and I will be talking about this in the future. So that is a big easel project that I'll probably start on in the next week or so and then will be a gigantic topic in the fall. Cool. So on the table, it's been an interesting few weeks. Husband and I were by ourselves for a whole week with no kids, which kind of made the cooking easier because... Yeah, what's that like? <laughs> I mean, it was all gluten-free vegetarian, which was fine. And I just didn't feel like I needed to make as much. It was interesting. A little, little preview of the, the world to come. So one of the things that I made was an omelet with asparagus and goat cheese. And the recipe was from 
the food lab by J. Kenji Lopez Alt, which is one of those like using science for cooking kind of books. It came out a while ago and I've had it for a long time and I just I don't think I've ever gone into it. Is it like America's Test Kitchen? Yeah, except I don't think they go into the testing process. They're just like, this is what you do. Okay. This is how you make it great. So anyway, with the omelet, I mean, it's an omelet. It wasn't that complicated. But the thing you do was mostly you whisk the eggs for what seems like a very long time. And it just, I guess, gets more air into them. Yeah. And then I had to go back into remembering my omelet technique, which I have more or less forgotten, but... It turned out fine. It was a nice big omelet, and you put asparagus in there and goat cheese, and it's, I mean, that's just delicious. And I think I served it with a salad. So that was kind of fun. So that that also gets me a little bingo square. <laughs> I'm <laughs> counting that one. So that was that was good. And I think it's something, you know, if it had been the whole family, I probably would have done a frittata or a quiche with those same ingredients. This was just a little more freeform, last minute kind of thing that you can do for two older adults who don't need quite as much food as teenagers. Uh, so that was that was a good experiment. And then I, because a couple of people had mentioned this, and I think you mentioned when I did my pickled strawberries, the liquid is basically a shrub. Very yeah. true. And I think she actually mentions that in the recipe. So I would finish the strawberries. They were delicious. I mostly put them on ice cream. I have some sad... Can I do this with some sad strawberries? Or do they need to be super fresh? I think so. I mean, you're pickling them, so... Right. Seems a good opportunity. Yeah. So I used the leftover liquid and mixed it with some vodka and limonada, which is the, like, sparkling lemonade from Pellegrino, I think. One of them. And then I smushed up a little mint and threw that in there as well. And it was very summery and delicious. And then I still had some of it left, so I made one for my husband without the vodka because he didn't want any with that, but he loved the refreshing beverage that it made on its own. So that was kind of a win all around. Yeah, that was really fun. I enjoyed that. And I felt very, you know, accomplished because you're using kind of a leftover thing. And I'm usually really bad about that, but it all worked out. So thank you, everyone, for the idea. And then I made indecision chicken from Julia Tertian's Small Victories. Different book. That might be her first book. I think that is her first book. So I've had it for a long time, and I don't know why I n never made it before, but it was delicious. So she designed it for grilling, and it's, I mean, it's pretty basic, but ended up really tasty. She calls for chicken thighs, and then you marinate them in lemon and honey and garlic and parsley and sage two kinds of mustard, olive oil, salt, pepper, all those good things. And so she said what it was is, you know, she had she was had people coming over, wanted to make grilled chicken, couldn't decide what marinade to do. So she just kind of combined all of the marinades that she might possibly, you know, instead of having just a mustard marinade, mm. it's mustard and honey and lemon. It's all the things. And it was really good. So I didn't have to marinate very long. She calls for grilling it, but you can also bake it or broil it, which is what I did. So super fast to cook. Because we did have some sunny weather, and as soon as it gets sunny, our houses heat up because no air conditioning. So that was great. The kids really liked it. It turned out very juicy and flavorful. It has not surpassed Her Grace's Chicken from Simply Julia, which is still our favorite chicken. But the kids did unprompted compliment it. So <laughs> I'm going to take that as a win. And then on our trip, just a couple of thoughts. You know, we were... 
eating out every night and morning and afternoon. But it worked out pretty well. Like we would just, you know, breakfast was usually a little free breakfast, which is fine. Lunch, mostly we had sandwiches on the trail. So our dinners were kind of, they weren't fancy. Well, we had one, our final dinner was pretty fancy, but it was interesting. And boy, one has gone from being a toddler who would only eat like white or beige food (laughs) with no sauce to really wanting to experiment with whatever is kind of local and fresh, which is just fantastic. So we had elk tenderloin. He got the trout. Uh, He had bison meatballs. So that was really fun to, to watch him explore all those food things. I mean, he has been like that for a while. It has been, it is not just in the past year, but it's still, sometimes it's hard to forget that your child is growing up and you still remember them as a two-year-old and have to to remember that's not how he is anymore. Right. But I did have a really good salad that I thought was kind of interesting. It was at this, it was like a tavern and they have live music and very casual place, but the food was really quite delicious and lots of gluten-free and vegetarian options. They had like rice bowls with tofu and black beans and very interesting. They had what they called a heritage salad. I don't know if it's Colorado heritage or whose heritage it was, but it was delicious. So it was mixed greens topped with chilled sautéed onions, chopped dates, crushed cashews, and with a poppy seed dressing. Which, you know, everybody does like cranberries and or a Caesar or whatever. So this just felt like a little bit different. I'm enthralled because I love dates and I have never put them into my kitchen sink salads. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, it's kind of the same idea and you've got all but you've got all these different flavors and textures. And you know, I don't I don't feel like you often see a poppy seed dressing. It's a little bit sweet, you know, for sure. We had to be in the mood for it, but I really enjoyed it. So that was very exciting food win on our travels. How about you? Well, while we have not eaten out in any capacity, and I also can't report that many new recipes, I feel like I've been cooking nonstop. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's the the family rotation, things that I've talked about a hundred other times. Chicken gyros, heritage meatballs, burgers, and, you know, the usual older teenage boy fare. The standouts from the last two weeks have been, I have a new recipe for chicken burgers, for ground chicken, and it's kind of like a a ranch profile, the Mm. binder in it is sour cream and it also calls for lots of herbs so it's kind of like the turkey burger from tuesday nights but with a different profile and i have to say it's preferable to me over a beef burger it feels a lot leaner and cleaner so that's been my choice if we're going to do burgers we've also done a couple rounds of shrimp scampi because I have a kid who loves shrimp, which is sort of new. And so that's delightful to bring that into the rotation. We also did a paella party. Years ago, I'm sure I talked about it. I bought a paella pan for a school event and we were going to throw a paella party. Big thing. It takes up a lot of space in my pantry and I haven't used it since. 
it was pretty great to have some friends who were game for paella because it's, you know, it's a good mix of shrimp, chicken, sausage. You can put any other kind of fish you want into it. And I know this is not an authentic Valencia paella or anything like that. This is paella appreciation, if you will. But I took the opportunity to go over to Spanish Table, which is one of my favorite foodie places in the city. And I got some gorgeous lemon paste stuffed olives, green olives that are stuffed with lemon paste. They were amazing. We ate the whole jar just as a starter. I purchased some fresh paprika, a lightly smoked paprika. Gorgeous. The real stellar purchase though, and this is something that Spanish Table is known for. They do all of these different salt blends, like they they do like a lemon salt and a truffle salt, which is awesome on popcorn. And when I was checking out for paella, I had bomba rice that I was buying from them and a bunch of other things and the olives. And I told them that I was making paella. And she, the girl at the counter recommended this spice seasoning, which had like red pepper flakes. And it was kind of a smoky, smoked red pepper flake salt, basically. Oh my gosh. It is so great. It is a wonder. It's not super smoky. It's just like just a little bit sweet with that heat from the red pepper flake. This seasoning salt is like magic. It went so well with the paella and we've been putting it on pasta and everything. Excellent. So standing ovation for Spanish table in that regard. And then we also met up with other friends to do a little cocktail night. And so to get my cocktail mocktail square for bingo, my husband actually mixed up a paper airplane. Oh, I've heard about these. Yeah. This is... I feel like these sort of speakeasy cocktails are becoming very popular again, because I've seen that one. I've seen, I don't know, some other kind of like 20-ish kind of cocktails. Very exciting. Yeah. And it's an opportunity to like pull out some pretty glassware and it just makes it so festive. So a paper airplane, we thought we had everything for it. We did not. He had to go out and get the Amaro and the Aperol to pair with his bourbon. And it's it's served with a twist of lemon. It is a really beautiful guava orange, like a, mm. a really warm pinky orange. Super pretty. But I just love the name of it, the paper airplane. Yep. And because I am not, I tasted it and it was delightful. But bourbon is a little too much for me. He made me a bijou cocktail. So the bijou has gin, vermouth, and chartreuse. And I think he did serve mine with a twist, a twist of something. I think it's supposed to be served with uh, cherry, but I didn't have that. So I think he did a little orange. But that was really fun. You know, just having a cocktail with friends early on a summer Friday night, and then everybody goes their separate way and feeds their monsters dinner. So very delightful and fun way to try something new. Although I I think we thought, oh, we have everything for this. And then we had to run to the store. That took a little wind out of the sails of the paper airplane, but still totally fun. 
On the nightstand, I want to say, first of all, and I know you will all be very disappointed, I do not have a Sue Grafton this time. Shocking. Why? I was listening to other things, and I actually didn't listen to a bunch on our trip. I listened before, I listened after, and I just didn't have time to fit her in. She is up next. Uh, there's another one I might listen to before that, but then she is. So I hope you all will be okay. Don't worry, I will get back to her and the adventures of Kinsey Milhone. <laughs> yes, Courtney, there are plenty of books this time. Lots of really short books. I'm going to pretend that's why it's kind of long is because a lot of them were less than 200 pages. So I can get through those pretty quickly and also vacation. So first of all, The Slow Regard of Silent Things by Patrick Rothfuss. This Ooh. is a side quest. He has not written book three in the King Killer trilogy yet, even though the other one came, book two came out in like 2014, maybe earlier. It's about this girl who lives underneath the school where a lot of the action happens. And so it's kind of seven days of her world. Patrick says, don't read this if you haven't read the other ones. This is not a good introduction to my writing. It's kind of a one-off. It's uh, It was almost an exercise that I did because I just had all these thoughts in my head. It was a little bit, it felt like a humble brag kind of thing because it was beautiful, right? It was almost like a short story, except that it was, you know, 150 pages instead of 20 but it's just from her point of view, it's what she's going through. She knows the main character of the book is going to come visit her. She has like a vision kind of thing. And so she's trying to get ready. And so she's going about her life and doing her thing. And you just, you get more information about her. It was really beautiful. I mean, I, I feel like you could read it on its own because it's kind of this self-contained world. Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. I don't know that you would want to if you hadn't read the other ones, but I, I kind of feel like you could. And then we got some romance, Sorry Bro by Talene Vascuni, which took place in San Francisco, which I think is kind of partially why I picked it up. Although, you know, I do like the romance. So Nara is an Armenian American woman. She is a journalist living at home with her mother. Her non-Armenian boyfriend proposes in a way that she's kind of like, what? So they decide to take a break, and she decides to recommit herself to her Armenian heritage. There's a big festival, a month-long festival with all these events. She tells her mom she'll go. And her mom's like, great, here's the dudes you need to meet. Except that the person that she's really interested in is one of the board members, who's about her age, who is a woman. She has not told anyone that she's bisexual. Her family doesn't know. There's a lot of conservatism in the Armenian culture. So it's... It's, con it's she's conflicted. She doesn't want to let her mom down, but she's really attracted to this other woman. Uh, it was really beautiful. Plus, you know, San Francisco. And then you get to learn about Armenian heritage. They go to food tasting and brandy tasting. And, you know, it's just a whole culture that I don't know anything about. She's reconnecting with her heritage. And obviously she's conflicted about her bisexual. Well, she's not conflicted about it, but she's conflicted about letting people know about it. So it was really, really fun story. I like the characters a lot. It was a nice romance, and I think it's a debut novel as well. Although I feel like I've already checked that one off. But yeah, that one is good, and I look forward to seeing what else this author comes along with. And then The League of Gentlewomen Witches by India Holton. This is book two in a series. Super fun. So it is kind of like 1880s England, Queen Victoria is still around. Except that about 100 years ago... Barrow Black was shipwrecked on an island, and she finds a bunch of documents in a bottle, 
and they tell her how to make anything fly. It's an incantation. So she enchants the house that she finds on the island and flies home in the house, where she teaches other women how to make their houses fly too. And they all take to the skies as pirates. Flying houses. Instead of ships. That's awesome. It's hilarious. So that was the first book, is you get an introduction to one of the pirate ladies and her romance with another, I think he's a pirate. He's trying to be a pirate. Mostly the pirates are women. There are some men pirates. They don't seem to be quite as successful, but they're out there. So this one, we learn that the women sort of split into two groups. There were the pirates, but there were a group of women who decided the pirates were just too, too much, too out of control and rude and Stealing things is fine, but you need to be respectable about it. So they became the League of Gentlewomen Witches. Charlotte is one of them. There's a prophecy about her. She is going to be the true heir of Beryl Black. And now Beryl's special amulet has been found and is on display in the British Museum. So obviously, everyone's trying to steal it because so much power. Charlotte succeeds, but it is immediately taken from her hands and a really bad pirate lady takes it. Everyone jumps into their houses and flies off after her, including Alex. Who so there's is... many flying houses. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. All over the country. Alex is a dude pirate, and he takes off after her. Charlotte hops into his house and says, actually, I'm following her, and you're just taking me there. Shenanigans all over the place, my friends. It's hilarious. They're obviously on opposite, kind of on opposite sides, but there's sparks flying, and... Along with the houses. <laughs> it's houses just a, and sparks are flying. Yep. It's wow. Just, it's just a delight. It's a, <laughs> an entire delight. They are romances, so you can read them in any order. There is a little bit of a through line, so you might not want to. And there's a book three coming. I think that might actually be already out. It just, I missed that this second one had come out. I'm excited to read that one and see where the, the overall story is going to go. And it's just... It's just a delight, an absolute romp. And then we have some mysteries. First of all, Hard Truth by Nevada Barr, which I listened to. So this one, her detective, I think this is like, well, this the one that I read was like eight or nine in the series. I think it's still going on. Her detective is a national park ranger. So I thought, oh, I'll jump into this series. I'd heard about it from various people for a while, but hadn't really gotten into it. But I thought, oh, we're going to Rocky Mountain National Park. Why don't I read the Rocky Mountain National Park one? This may have been akin to like reading the fires about the Icelandic volcanoes before visiting Iceland. Because <laughs> there's murders, there's child abuse. It was it was a little rougher than I thought. So Anna Pigeon is our detective. She has just started her new job as kind of a manager in Rocky Mountain. And like her second day on the job, some campers come across two 12-year-old girls wandering in the woods. Turns out they have been missing for six weeks. And there's another girl who is still missing. And then the girls claim they don't remember anything about where they have been. So they're trying to figure out where the girls have been, who kidnapped them, what's going on. I liked, I liked Anna Pigeon. I liked the other characters. I liked the story. I thought it was well done and a good twist. For my taste, I, I don't like stories where you spend a lot of time with just a creepy psychopathic killer. That doesn't do it Gee, for me. Gee, why? I want, I want my killer to have a reason, right? Okay, like yeah. they're embezzling and they don't want to get caught. Or even like, I don't like my wife and I want to kill her for her money. Like that's a reason, not just I like hurting people. 
Right. I that I that does not. I, I don't like. That. I don't enjoy that. Like the Hannibal Lecter kind of thing doesn't yeah. do it for me. So I don't know if the other books are also like that. Yeah, there was too much. There was too much of the creepiness for me. The actual writing and the 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 actual story was good. Overall, it was a mixed bag for me. Um, but it it might be something that that other people yeah, have less of, of an issue. A lot of people it. like those kind of yeah. And then the Honjin murders by Seshi Yokomiso, translated by Louise Heal Kawai. This is another. I don't know if this is just the new thing of translating kind of classic Japanese mysteries, but this is another one. I had read one, you know, earlier in the year. Uh, this is a locked room murder mystery, and I think it was written. I thought I saw something that was written like in 1938. The story takes place in 1937. But then the narrator is talking about things after the war and like what happens to the characters during the war. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe it was written in the 50s. Anyway, so there is a wealthy family. The oldest son is getting married. He is the head of the family. He gets married. They go off and have their wedding night in a little cottage on the property. Everyone is awoken at four in the morning by screams and an eerie music, and the, well, no longer happy couple is found murdered. Locked room, snow, no footprints, all the classic things. Detective is brought in to solve the crime. There's a whole series of these stories with this detective. It was quite good. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, you know, clever little locked room mystery. I don't know if I love the solution, but that's more of a, of the times we live in kind of thing. But it was it was a fun, quick little murder mystery, and I will keep an eye out for more translations by this author. And then Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayborn. I don't know if they're going to do a series of this one. It felt a little bit like a one-off, but she has done, I think she's definitely done some series, I think like a Lady Sherlock Holmes one or, or something, Veronica Speedwell. She's definitely a known writer. But in this one, we have four women. They have... Uh, just retired after 40 years with the same company, and their company is uh, sending them on a thank you cruise. The twist is that these women were all assassins, and for some reason, once they're on the cruise, they notice there is one of their co-workers on the boat who hasn't checked in with them, and they figure he's trying to kill them. They don't know why, but he is trying to kill them. So now they have to neutralize him, escape, figure out what's going on, what, you know, why they're being targeted and, uh, you know, save the day. Uh, so it was, it was fun. There was, there was a lot of killing. It's a little bit weird. Like the, their company was founded. It's like an extra governmental agency. They were founded to hunt down Nazis that had escaped. And now they've branched off because the, <laughs> there's not really any more Nazis. So they branched off into drug cartels and, tyrants and arms dealers, that kind of thing, killing killing off the bad guys that otherwise would be running wild and causing trouble. And I always like seeing, you know, older women figures, obviously, mm -hmm. people never take them seriously and underestimate them. And you go back and forth between the current day and then kind of how they got into this job and their early career. They spend time in Paris, which was delightful. And but it was also a lot of killing. A lot of killing. I was kind of like, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. So uh, definitely a romp, kind of a fun book, but a little, not not maybe my most favorite book of the summer. Uh, I also finally got around to reading The Maid by Nita Prose. 
She came out, I don't know, probably a year or more ago at this point. So Molly is a maid. She works in a fancy hotel. She loves her job. She's definitely written as maybe being autistic or, you know, something. But it's it's never explicitly said. So there's a, a room that she cleans all the time. And she comes in one day and the very wealthy man is dead. And so the police are investigating. Molly kind of starts investigating. She gets involved in some odd stuff. And there is apparently a sequel, a sequel, a second book in the series coming out. I really liked it at first, and I thought about it, and I liked it a little less. She doesn't entirely make sense as a character. She'll be doing something that makes sense for her character, and then all of a sudden she'll totally change. And, you know, as far as characters that you would expect, uh, characteristics that you would expect from someone that is autistic, even though it's, again, never explicitly said. It's an interesting mystery I liked the plot. I thought it was clever. Um, I liked the characters. I liked Molly as a character. I liked some of the other characters. She does seem maybe too naive in some ways, but it was interesting. I can see why it got all the press that it did. And then Arch Conspirator by Veronica Roth of Divergent fame. This Mm. is super short. It is a retelling of Antigone. So obviously I wanted to read that. She doesn't even change the names. So that kind of made it easy to figure out who was who. And it is future dystopia. I mean, could you have a past dystopia? Dystopia is kind of always in the future, I feel like. Anyway, so a lot of the same themes as Divergent with monitoring how children are created, but the same Antigone theme with the brothers and honoring your brother and arguing with your uncle who's in the power. So it was good. It was quick. I mean, it was basically Antigone, but in the future. Two that I really enjoyed, two final ones. Did you hear about Kitty Carr by Crystal Smith Paul? The author has been a writer of mostly nonfiction and then I think some short stories and stuff. So this is her first novel. Kitty Carr is uh, a famous white Hollywood actress, kind of a legend, Oscar winner. And it starts in 2017 and she has just passed away and left her entire very substantial fortune to the three St. John sisters who are also Hollywood royalty. Their mom was a film star. Their dad is like a music producer, uh, but they are black. And so everyone is wondering why, what's going on. They don't know about any connection between the families. So the story flips back and forth between Elise, the oldest sister, in the aftermath of Kitty's death. And then you go back to Kitty's childhood in the 1930s in North Carolina. And when she comes to Hollywood... And so you get the whole story, you find the connections. It's a really interesting plot that figures in this whole group of women who are passing in Hollywood, passing as white women. There's a lot of historical information. Plus, you've got Hollywood glamour in the 50s and 60s. The parts with Elise in the modern time are a little bit more, they feel a little more forced to make the story come out with an ultimately satisfying ending, although maybe not as realistic as one would like. But it was a really good overall story. My mostest favorite was The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakraborty, which I listened to. Highly recommend listening to it. It was an excellent audio production. Really great. There is like a map and a little bit of a glossary, but you can get those on the publisher's website. So you can see those as well. It is the story of (laughs) Amina Al-Sarafi in the 12th century around the Indian Ocean and mostly around the Arabian Sea and the Gulf of Aden. Amina is a pirate, but she's retired because she's 40. So she's, she's had lots of adventures. Her father was a pirate. Her grandfather was a pirate. She's now retired. 
and living very quietly with her daughter and her mother, her brother, his family. But then a woman finds her at her house. She is the mother of one of Amina's crew members who died, and the crew member's daughter has been kidnapped. And the woman wants Amina to return and use her contacts in the seafaring world to find the granddaughter. She doesn't really want to. The woman threatens her family. Blah, blah, blah. Obviously, she takes off on the adventures. Fantastic adventures. Because it's Shannon Chakraborty, there are also some fantastical elements. We've got sea creatures. We've got djinn. We've got other kinds of Arabic mystical creatures. It was so fun. (laughs) It was great. Shannon said in her author's note said, I'm going to make it completely historically accurate, except for the plot. And I think that's a great way of looking at it. You get totally immersed in this 12th century world. The towns, the settings are so fun. I spent a lot of time on Google looking up what these cities look like or the islands or the trees or the descriptions are really great. It's just such a fantastic setting for this really fantastic adventure. The characters have this beautiful friendship with you know her crew. She gets her band back together, basically. The audio, as I said, was really great. It's mostly Amina telling her story, and then it's interspersed with documents, legends that are told by her scribe, who is recording the story. So he pops in. I mean, it felt like it was written as an oral tale. And so listening to it was super easy, really enjoyable. So I would recommend. I mean, the writing's great, so you could obviously just read it. But I really enjoyed listening to it. And I am more generally of a reader than a listener. So I'm just putting that out there. And it is the first of a series. So I'm very excited. (laughs) I didn't think it was going to be. I thought it was just a one-off. But then at the end, she gets set up where she has to find... She's searching for a mystical object. And it gets set up at the end. She has to find four more. So hooray! maybe it's going to be a big old series. I'm very excited. Awesome. How about you? Well, normally... I only have to remember a couple books, but I've actually read seven. Oh my gosh. It's going to be the longest episode ever. I know. And it's harder for me because I am, normally I read like two or three books every two weeks for the podcast. And this was much more difficult to remember what I wanted to say about each book. So Kudos to you all these many years for <laughs> I was re- gonna say. for remembering what the heck it was you actually read. Okay, I'm going to do my best for these seven. And I have two favorites. And that was the other easy thing about having two or three or even four books is there was always a clear favorite. And this time I'm a little conflicted. Mm. Although we'll see. We'll see where we land. First up is Community Board by Tara Conklin. I have no idea how I found this book, but it is kind of delightful. This is a story about Darcy, who is reeling from a split with her husband. She she returns home to Murbridge, Massachusetts, which is, I think, a fictitious town because it's apparently very close to where I grew up, and I don't know this town. Small town drama and healing ensues as she's like coming to terms with her broken relationship or the the end of her marriage and she forges a friendship and and different kind of roots in this town where she had grown up. She really grows up a lot in this book in a different way. It also has a really nice LGBTQ plus 
little sideline. It rang true for these kind of small towns, small New England towns. And I, I, I appreciated that. That was community board. Then I was, li- I listened to Cold Earth, which is Anne Cleve's Shetland Mysteries, number seven. I've always tried to be really careful about the mysteries to not give any spoilers. And so for this book, I just want to say that blank and blank hookup. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the island's only blank dies in a landslide. I think I can say that. That was Cold Earth by Anne Cleves. My one sentence, my two sentence, uh, non-spoiler. Then I read World of Wonders by Amy Nezukumatatil. This is part memoir, part poetry, part natural history, and all lovely. This is my recommendation from a librarian. I went on a deep dive into all the big public libraries, their library lists. You know how San Francisco library sends us the like librarian recommendations? Well, I thought I bet other libraries have that and lo and behold, they do. So I went through the New York public library. I went through Boston public library and I think that's it. Um, So this one was, I think, from the Boston Public Library, and she is talking about her childhood growing up a person of color in America and having parents of color. And she grew up in like Kansas and I think Arizona and bounced around a lot and how she forged friendships, even though she was pretty dark skinned compared to her classmates. And then she's relating her own stories, her biography and her stories as a mother and a poet with these really interesting natural creatures. And there's gorgeous little illustrations and the whole book is very delightful. Then I read another slim novel called The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. And this is an adaptation of The Crane Wife, which is an old, I think it's a Japanese folktale. And this one, it's flipped. So it's the feature is, the crane is a male. And it comes to this artist who does like assemblage type stuff. And she has two children. The perspective is from her daughter. So she's got like a 15-year-old daughter who is dealing with how her mother has become transfixed with this crane male who has infiltrated their life. And it is super creepy and gothic, really haunting. And if you know how the crane wife ends, then you might be very interested to see what happens in this little novel. Then, I don't know if I can call this a recommendation because... We had a chat about it, I think, because Boston Jen thought that we had recommended the cartographers. Oh, yeah. And so we looked around and we're like, why does this sound so familiar? And so this is like a group recommendation for the cartographers, (laughs) which is by Penn Shepard. This was such a fun read. Have you read it yet? No. I need to. Because I was, anyway, no, I haven't. I recommend it. Chiefly because I really love maps and I, for a long time, wanted to be a cartographer up through like well into high school. 
well into Google ruining it for me, you know, basically because Google took over the world and they've mapped everything now, including the bottom of the ocean, or they're getting a start on that at least. This book features a group of fellow map nerds who are cartographing, <laughs> cartographing, cartographing in Wisconsin. And they go through grad school as cartographers. And I think in modern day times, really the the only place for cartographers would feel like a museum, you know, looking at old maps. And so they decide they're going to do this group project. There's like seven of them, I think. And they hole up for a summer in New York in an old house. And they try to work on their big culminating project, which is like a PhD level dreamers atlas or something like that. They discover, this is a true fact, that the map companies like Rand McNally, they would put a little weird place on a map so that they knew if somebody copied their map. So there was little fictional places, but these cartographers realized that they were really close to this place on a map that didn't exist. And so they magicked their way in, I guess. And there was this whole town that nobody had gone to because it's only on one map. You know, it was like copyrighted. It, I'm not quite sure about the copyright laws on this, frankly, <laughs> But, oh my gosh, mega shenanigans ensue. And they, two of the cartographers have a daughter. And the story is told from her perspective, like 30 years later, and how that one summer had impacted all of their lives. And, and it's definitely going to impact hers going forward. There's lots of library chatter in this, like the dad works at New York City Public Library. They all work in maps, which is very fascinating. It takes place in and around New York, which is fun. So there's a lot to be had here, and I'm not spoiling anything. It's pretty great. So that was The Cartographers by Peng Shepard. Then, on my way over here, finished Wildfire which is book eight of the Shetland Mysteries by Anne Cleves. Monica's going to roll her eyes at me. I am counting this as the last book in a series on my bingo square because it is actually pretty phenomenal that I finished this series. I still haven't finished the Three Pines Mysteries. I mean, that one's still going, so. And there's a bajillion of them. Monica. <laughs> What, you want me to yell at you for not finishing them? No, I want credit for finishing yeah, no, Shetland. I There's think. eight. I yeah. Mean, that's, that's, a, that's, that's huge for me. I know. I'm not normally a series person, and I'm just super delighted with this whole series. I kind of stalled at book three, and the only reason why I kept going is because Monica told me book four was full of birds. Really, I have fallen in love with these characters and this place and... I, I'm just smitten with the whole series. This is a very satisfying conclusion to Jimmy Perez's mystery sleuthing in the Shetland Islands with all its fog and birds and weirdness and water. And I loved, loved this last book. I have been listening to it obsessively for the past couple days, and I didn't think I'd finish it, but 
I listened to the last 10 minutes on the car ride over and had a gigantic smile on my face. And yeah, so... At least you knew the end was coming. I didn't realize that it was the last book in the series. <laughs> I didn't, didn't happen. I, I didn't like, Wait, either until I started book eight and was like, huh, I wonder how many more there are. And was like, oh my gosh, this is the last one. So this one has kind of a weird twisty mystery with a couple different families involved and or several. He is, Jimmy is aided by his trusty sidekick and... Willow comes back to Shetland to help close out the case, and she's incredibly perceptive with what's going on, and there is lots of changes in their future. That was wildfire, and I'm delighted. My favorite book of the slew was Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. Oh my gosh, everybody, all Everyone needs to put this on their reading list right now. It's so good. This is a debut novel. I listened to it on audio, but I would, I want it for my permanent collection. I loved it. I don't even know how to tell the overall story of it, but I think it's important to note that one of our chief voices is of a giant Pacific octopus who's in an aquarium in Seattle. He is the star of the show, and this book has made my summer. The narration, he has his own voice actor. What a superb audio version this is. It's just so good. So the human side of this is that we have an old woman who has lost her her most important people. And she is kind of coming to terms with aging, how it will be difficult to age in place without any assistance. And she has a great friend group and she has a job at the aquarium cleaning. And so she interacts with the giant Pacific octopus, whose name is Marcellus. That is one thread of this. The other thread is that there's a character who is kind of messed up. He just cannot get his life on the right track. And he discovers that his his mom has abandoned him. His aunt has raised him. He's 30 years old. His girlfriend just kicked him out of the apartment. And he is trying to figure out his life. And so he goes on a quest to find his biological father, who he believes is in this town where the octopus is in an aquarium. He makes his way there and all of these threads weave into a very interesting tapestry. I love this book. I think it was marketed as something of a mystery novel, but I see it more as natural history and a story about families. And I just 100% recommend. Delightful. And if you know of other books like this, send them my way because this okay. is right up my alley. And that is it. Okay, bingo. Started Friday, May 26th, ends on Monday, September 4th. In order to enter for fabulous prizes, you need to post a photo of your completed bingo sheet on Instagram with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2023 or in the Ravelry thread. And that can be a row, a column, a diagonal. But if you get a blackout, you can post that and you get a second entry in the prize draw. 
Also, this year, if you complete all three bird-themed squares, you can enter to win for a bird-themed prize. And I don't think we haven't been saying this, but if you do want to enter for that, maybe do a separate post somewhere <laughs> so and say like, hey, I'm entering, just so we can make sure that we catch that one. And you don't have to post your finished items, but we do love to see them. There's still plenty of time to enter if you still need a bingo card. They are in our stories, save stories up at the top on Instagram, or you can contact us and let us know your email address and we will send you a PDF that you can print out and play with. I actually ended up with quite a few this time. I have the cocktail square, my strawberry shrub leftovers which was delicious. I cooked bird-themed with the omelet. I mean, vacation crafting and reading because I was on vacation and I did... Well, I didn't cook on vacation. So that was... That, <laughs> that kind of feels like a win in my book. But I did do some knitting and reading on vacation. And then first of the series, I am claiming The Adventures of Amina al-Sarafi. Although there aren't any other books in the series yet, so it almost feels like it doesn't count. But I love it so much, I'm going to make it count. I know the feeling. So I'm pretty close. I thought I almost had one, but I haven't I haven't made a pizza that I wanted to count yet. So Okay. Fair enough. We are. Yeah. How about you? I crafted something for summer with my black sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's just irony for you people. My library recommendation, I'm counting the World of Wonders. And check those library lists, people. They're really good. There was even a bird-themed one somewhere out there, and I Ooh. thought that was great. Yeah, popular. I have to find a bird-themed book. My bird read was The Crane Husband, which was super weird and excellent. So now that one can be like a double square for somebody. Right, a recommendation and a bird. My cocktail was The Paper Airplane, mostly because I want to draw a paper airplane for the podcast next week. My remake, even though it was a fail, was that poppy blouse that I tried to make into a dress. That's a work in progress, but I'm still, it was an attempt. I almost completed it. So my Monica recommendation, I, I want to say the cartographers because we had this whole exchange about it, but it doesn't really count. So I, I might actually have to, read it. Yeah, yeah, you haven't actually read it. So I might have to go back to and that I one. am planning on reading it very soon. So can you like retroactively? <laughs> Perhaps. We'll see. I mean, it's not like we're winning prizes, so we can kind of do whatever we want. Right. And then because I'm not winning any prizes, I'm changing read the first book in a series to read the last book in a series and claiming Shetland book eight, the Anne Cleves final from this Jimmy Perez series. And Anne, thanks so much for writing them. They were just awesome. I love it. And you all have been very, very busy as yes. well. So many posts and awesome awesomeness. From Instagram, Knitwise09 made barbecue pulled chicken for cooking bird themed. Tamara Moot's very busy. Triple batch pancakes for epic breakfast and from scratch square. She started a new project and did some road trip knitting. She finished a poncho that was a whip. She made an egg spinach quiche, which was I'm not, that one, I'm not quite sure which it was for, but it could be any number of squares. Mm -hmm. She read The Alice Network for a prize-winning book and Into the Wilderness for first book in a series. We had a couple more, I think. Did you see that Tamara Moots also did? She had recommended a book called The Venice Sketchbook, and I'm super excited. I put that on my TBR because I want to read about that. 
Yeah. It's Venice and a sketchbook. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's all yeah. You. <laughs> um, so on Ravelry, yeah, Hockey Rachel bird theme crafting. She knit some little eggs to go with a felt robin and a nest. So, that so was cute, super cute. And I, I think it was a project with her daughter, so that was not counting for anything, but really delightful. And also, she had made hand spun that she gave to a teacher, and the teacher knitted up and shared a photo of the. I think it was like a kerchief that she had made, which was really cute. Craft Buzz finished her half hat shawl, which was a work in progress, and that got her bingo. I think that's our first bingo of the season, other than you. <laughs> so mine, congratulations mine, on that. Mine don't count. It's okay. Well, still. Burdette made salmon with a salad of cucumbers, dill, and garlic scapes from her CSA box. Knitwise09 also knit a chicken, which was adorable. I guess she's <gasps> in the process. It's so cute. And I'm going to have to climb on Ravelry for you that. Do, me too. And then Suna is making a birdsong pullover, which, oh my gosh, it's a colorwork sweater with these really realistic looking birds all over the yoke. Like it looks like they're sitting on a branch. It's just fantastic. I am highly in awe of that talent. It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, you guys have been so busy. It's lovely. But we've been talking for a while. So next time, there may or may not be an episode. <laughs> we are both traveling. We'll have to see what happens. I will put something out no matter what to let you know if there's going to be a real episode or not. But you might have to you might have to survive for a month without us. But you guys are plenty busy. So I think you'll be fine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Ready. Spaghetti. <laughs> Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.